0: We're in the middle of Hebrews chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you could turn there, Hebrews chapter 11, which is a famous text of Scripture, well-known because it is a list of, sometimes it's called the Hall of Faith as like a Hall of Fame, only faith. Because in this list, there's a punctuation mark by faith. By faith, by faith, by faith. You might think that the writer of Hebrews is trying to say something. (laughs) By faith, by faith, by faith. And last week we talked about this. You know, you always operate by faith. If you're a human being, you operate by faith. The only question is faith in what? or whom so when it comes to our standing before God we operate by faith some of us trust ourselves to the idea that there isn't a God that we stand before and they live a certain kind of way that flows out of that faith I think that that faith is severely delusional. It denies the most essential reality that we are created beings responsible to our creator. Anyway, but Those folks who operate in that faith we call atheism, they often don't even recognize it as a faith. They think they're operating by reason, and they don't notice that reason operates by faith. And there's no other way for reason to operate. All logic proceeds from certain suppositions which are believed without proof. All, I'm going to say that again, All logic proceeds from suppositions that are believed without proof. So if you think you believe something, only the proven things, well, you're just not observing carefully what you're doing. All human activity operates by faith. The only question is, faith in what? Now that was last week's lesson. And when we come to stand before God, we have a choice. We can put our faith in the provision of God for standing before God. Or we can bring whatever we've got for standing before God. And the provision of God is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ the second person of the triune God who was made flesh, who died as a sacrifice for sin, rose from the dead and now intercedes for those who belong to Him before the Father. That's God's provision that you can choose to
1: trust. Or you can trust your own provision. Most people
0: do this. Most people say, well, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm sure God will be pleased with me, will accept me, because after all, I can look around and see a lot of people who are worse than me. I'm not that bad. And so they trust in, their, in themselves, in what they provide. Hmm. The Scripture is quite clear that that will not be adequate. In fact, it's quite clear, I believe, that trusting in your own provision is a slap in the face of the God you're standing before. Because he has provided for you, and you are refusing his provision in order to provide for yourself. So no matter how good your good works are, they're yours, not his. So what will you trust? Now, I went through all that because I want to get everyone up to speed with where we are. What we're learning if you look in your bulletin i always print some notes in your bulletin and you can see what we're learning what we're learning is what the writer of hebrews exhorted us to do three things in chapter 10 on the basis of the sacrifice of christ he says therefore let us draw near in full assurance of faith draw near means draw near to god Meaning that in Christ, we have access to the living God. If you are a born-again person, if you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if those are two ways of saying the same thing. Born-again people put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Lord Jesus Christ invites you into the very presence of God That's what I was talking about when I talked about Jesus died to make prayer available to us. Draw near in full assurance of faith. Hold fast the confession of our hope. Our hope. A hope is faith exercised in a promise. A forward-looking faith. And then he says, that's the second thing, draw near, hold fast in in, uh, the confession of our hope, and consider one another in order to stir up love. Do you hear that? Faith, hope, love. These are the central Christian virtues. Love extends from faith and hope. The writer of Galatians, I believe it was, put it like this, nothing counts except faith working through love. So these things, we draw near, we hold fast, we consider one another, faith, hope, love. We trust God, we hope in the promise of God, and we think about each other in order to stir up love. We do this because God is utterly trustworthy. God is utterly trustworthy because God is true to himself. So if he says he will, he must. But not only is he true to himself, he's also good. Because he's true to himself, he's true to you and to me, and to everyone else. And what he said, what he has pronounced over any person, he will fulfill. He's utterly trustworthy. He can be relied on to deliver those who trust him and to judge those who don't. He delivers those who rely on his provision he judges those who rely on anything else. He's announced this quite clearly in the person of Jesus and in the scriptures. God has made some surpassing promises to those who trust in him. The promise of full access before the throne of God. You can pray about anything, anytime, place full access, and he promises provision, perfect provision all the time. So whether you're taking advantage of the access or not, he's taking care of you. And he promises resurrection to
1: eternal life in the end. God's made these surpassing promises.
0: Now, the assurance of God changes everything.
1: God has said changes everything. God promises changes everything. God will changes everything. And so, I urge you,
0: rely On the promises of God. Now I want to point something out here. I did not say
1: claim the promises of God. Which is a dumb idea. I'm sorry. You do not need to claim any promise that God has made to you. Because it is a certainty If God said he will, he will, whether you claim it or not.
0: What I did say is rely on it. Trust it. Now, I want to acknowledge that probably when some people use the word claim, they really mean trust. Okay. Well, use the right word. Trust the promises of God because they are utterly trustworthy. If he has said it, he will do it with no doubt and with no need for any claim on your part. Rely on the promise. Now, the statement here is the assurance of God changes everything. Rely on his promises. Here's what I mean by rely on his promises. Think in this way. If the gospel is true, what shall I do? That's relying on the promises of God. I'm going to say it again. It rhymes in case you didn't notice. If the gospel is true, what shall I do? In other words, if I can count on the resurrection to eternal life, how will I act in this situation? Do you see how that should have an impact on any decision you ever make? If your place and safety in the eternal world is promised and assured by the word of Almighty God, then there are some things you should
1: quit worrying about. that often have an impact on your decision-making when
0: this is how you should decide if God's gospel is true, what shall I do? If you trust this, it changes everything. Everything. And it's not because you trust it, it's because he promises it. We could say this like this. Sometimes we say, uh, you're not saved by works, but you're saved by faith. That sounds like a true Bible statement. You're not saved by works, but you're saved by faith. Well, here's a little twist on that. You are saved by works. Does that surprise you to hear me say that? You are saved by works, but not yours. You are saved by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are saved by the righteous life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God grants to you freely as a gift the righteousness of the life of Jesus, the man Jesus, whose righteousness was perfect. He announces that over you. And all you do is agree to this. That's what the by faith part means. It's not because God thinks your faith is so fantastic. It's just because he's done this for you and you are receiving it. And there's only one way to receive it because you can't do anything to earn it. You receive it by trusting it, by relying on it. And when we rely on it, it changes everything. So let's talk about Moses some more, and we'll get into this week's message. Moses, by faith, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. This is grounded in the story in Exodus chapter 12, the establishment of the Passover celebration in the life of the nation of Israel. And I'll tell you this, the establishment of the Passover celebration in the life of Israel is something like the establishment of the nation of Israel. This feast is the feast that is the establishment of Israel. Because in this event, God redeems his people from Egypt to deliver them into the promised
1: land. And that is how they are, the nation of Israel. By faith, Moses kept. Now, we've moved
0: into the book of Exodus. We were in Genesis last time. Now we're in Exodus. Last time we were talking about, well, actually we were in Exodus last time, but we are moving into the Exodus. So what we have here in Exodus chapter 12 is very interesting because, you know, Jesus is a Passover lamb, right? We know this. In the Papi Minto language, it's embedded in the language, Bon Pascu. Passover, Happy Passover, by which we mean Easter. By which we really mean Good Friday and Easter. And we even use it for Christmas, which I kind of like, because behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There he is, he's shown up on Christmas. By faith, Moses kept the Passover. Now, what's going on in the Passover is a substitution, a substitutional sacrifice. The same judgment would fall on any household of Israel that did not make the sacrifice and put the blood on the door. What we have in the Passover is a meal eaten in a hurry. I like that, with your boots on, ready to go, ready to follow, ready to depart from slavery. You know, when you come to the communion next week, (laughs) I encourage you to, well, don't wear big old heavy shoes, you know, but when you come to the Passover, you come ready to move. remembering you were redeemed out of slavery. And so the celebration of the Passover in the nation of Israel is the celebration of the Lord's table in the body of Christ. The memorial, the remember when God saved us. We remember when he saved us and we are assured that we are saved. Redeemed. Purchased out of slavery. It's a memorial meal. It's the memorial meal that constitutes the nation. And so, our memorial meal is the memorial meal that's hard to say, that constitutes the body. That's why we well, one of the many reasons, we do it together. We don't, we don't each have a communion celebration in our house. We are the people of God, not a person of God. And so the people of God celebrate this together. And we have this memorial meal that celebrates the sacrifice of Christ. Christ. It's a demonstration of the Lord's power to judge and to redeem at the same time. You know, the thing that you're saved from is God. You choose to trust in his provision or to trust in your own provision and you are saved or judged in the exact same event. The cross of Christ condemns us if it doesn't save us. But the main thing about this is it's a demonstration of the Lord's power. In this story in Exodus chapter 12, the people did as the Lord commanded. They put the blood on the doorposts, and they were passed over, and Egypt was judged, and Egypt said, enough is enough, and they threw them out, and they paid them to leave. And so the Lord is on display. As we read, he judged the gods of Egypt. And if you you've probably seen this. If you study the plagues, they're all, each one kind of aimed at one of the gods of Egypt. And they show that Yahweh, the living God, the one true God, the creator God, the God who is, is all-powerful and supersedes any other idea of any other God that we might come up with. And of course, we did come up with all the others. By faith, Moses kept the Passover. The people trusted the word of God. How do you see that? That's the by faith part, right? By faith, they kept the Passover. How did they? How do? How did they do that? Because they believed, they acted according to their belief. It's really that simple. They only acted according to their belief because when Moses said, this is what, we're, what we need to do, this is what God says, they believed it. They believed it was God. They believed God was gonna judge. They had already seen all the other plagues. They knew this was true. They trusted Moses and in trusting Moses, they trusted God. And so they sacrificed the lambs and they ate the meal with their shoes on and they were ready to go out of slavery. Not because they're such anti-slave people. We find out they're not such. But because they believed the promise of God. Now, their faith is wavery, right? Well, so is mine, so I understand that. It comes and goes. It has a, well, what's, what have I seen lately aspect to it which is really stupid, but, you know, that's how we are. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. Now we're up to Exodus chapter 14. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. Here's the interesting thing. Here's an interesting thing about this. They got in this predicament, right, because they left. And then the scripture says God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. God acted on Pharaoh so that Pharaoh changed his mind. Now here are all these plagues, all this work of God has been about getting his people out of Egypt. And as soon as they get thrown out of
1: Egypt, God makes Pharaoh change his mind about it. What? Well, that's what happened. The Lord
0: arranged this predicament. You got any predicaments? Well, the Lord arranged this predicament. He got them out, and so they went where he directed them, and they run into the, this body of water. The Lord, here's here's the text. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before, oh, place I can't say, between Migdal and the sea. And you shall camp in front of Baal, Zephon, opposite it, by the sea. So
1: why were they where they were? Because God put them there. There. I wonder why you're where you are. Well, anyway, God put them there.
0: And he got Pharaoh to change his mind. And so Pharaoh's very powerful army, this is the superpower of the world in this day,
1: they go after them. And so, the people of
0: Israel are in a bind, literally. They're looking at an impending death at the hands of the Egyptians. Persecution. You know the word persecution means chase after? Well, this is a classic case. They're being chased after. So, they'd followed the Lord into an impossible situation. I am reasonably confident that if you follow the Lord, you will come across some impossible situations. Here's what happened. They were very frightened. (laughs) This is Exodus 14.10. They were very frightened. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. That figures. Listen to what they did. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Oh. They cried out to the Lord. And we might think, oh, there's the faith. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's right. I would say that. That's right. There's the faith. They're not crying out to the Egyptian gods. They're crying out to the Lord. But you should hear what they cry out. Probably your prayers are kind of like this. They said to Moses, "It's because is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness?" You ever pray like that, Lord? What on earth are you doing? Any even I can tell this is not a good idea.
1: So they're crying out to the Lord and complaining in doing so.
0: Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Let us remain in slavery, for it would have been better for us to remain in slavery than to die in the wilderness." So they're looking in the right direction, but they're not doing it very well. But here's the thing. The promise of God is, I am getting my people out of Egypt. He made this promise to Joseph more than 400 years ago, and he's keeping it when he said he would keep it. And it doesn't depend on how, you know, the quality of their faith, which is a very low quality,
1: very much like mine. Lord.
0: But they're looking to him and not to something else. And then faith is expressed in simple obedience. The Lord says, Move toward the sea. And Moses, raise up your
1: staff. And I'm going to make a path. A promise.
0: A promise that has an implicit commandment. But the thing is the promise. And so the Lord says, I will do this. And so what did they do? Moses raised up his staff. The water parted and they walked. They moved.
1: They obeyed. They trusted. Now they trusted
0: in anticipation of obedience, but where does their their faith show? By faith, they passed through the sea. And we see this great intervention of God. And this is why he did it. The Israelites don't steal themselves from Egypt and run away to the promised land. They are gotten out of Egypt in such a way that only God can
1: receive the credit. This is the point. Everyone will know that
0: I am the Lord. He says this in in Exodus 14.4 to the Egypt. He says the Egyptians will know that I am that I am. And at the end of the story, Israel knows. And in the middle, God says, I will be honored And the Egyptians, they chase them into the, the, you know, they go into the sea too. And then suddenly everything's going haywire, like wheels are falling off their chariots and horses are getting stuck in the mud and everything's gone crazy. And the Egyptians, this is what they say, run. The Lord is fighting for them. And when God arranged this, that was what he was after. I will be
1: honored. The Lord doesn't save you so that you will be saved. He saves you for His glory, for His honor, for
0: the worship of Him, to gather a people together in Christ. Honors him, trusts him, and exhibits the consequential love and obedience in the
1: world which honors him. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Now we're in the book of Joshua. So we skipped over the unfaithful period, do you notice?
0: Now we're in the book of Joshua, and we're right up again to the gates of the promised land, and this time Israel obeys. And they do the craziest thing. They march around. They're going to conquer Jericho, right? So they march around. They just walk around the city a bunch of times for a week. I can imagine the people in Jericho going, what on?" earth are they doing they're just walking around the place and then one day they walk around the place a bunch of times and then they all shout and everything collapses well why does God arrange for
1: foolish obedience so that everyone knows it's him Faith expressed in simple, sometimes
0: seemingly nutty obedience in anticipation of the Lord's action. When we trust in the promises of God, when we anticipate the Lord's action, when I say to myself, the Lord has said to me, assured me personally that he will always meet my needs, then I can stop Meeting them myself
1: I can do something obedient and let him provide for
0: it now that you know that's not an everyday kind of activity, but I've experienced that. Have you experienced that? I've moved from this job to that job or from this job to this school where there's no income, and I think ah. Well, but I'm sure that's what the Lord wants me to do, so I'm doing it. And it's his job to worry about where it's going to be
1: provided for. And that enabled me to actually do it. Because I couldn't do it if I didn't have that promise. I'd have to,
0: you know, stick in the same job that I knew he was done with. Well, so faith expressed in simple obedience the intervention of the Lord to judge Jericho and deliver his promise to his people. And the point is this, at the end of Joshua 6, the Lord was with Joshua and his fame,
1: I'm thinking that's the Lord's fame, was in the whole land. By faith, Rahab,
0: the harlot, did not perish. You remember this story? So this is the spies. This is earlier in the story of Jericho. They send some spies. She welcomes them into the home. She provides for them, hides them, gets them out of the city safely, and gets a promise out of them that they'll take care of her. The scripture says she feared the Lord. In fact, it says all of Jericho feared the Lord. But here's something, she's the only one that got on the Lord's side. She didn't just fear the Lord, she trusted him. And she trusted the men of Israel. And so she was saved. Do you know, Rahab is mentioned in the book of Matthew.
1: Do you know why? She's one of the ancestors of Jesus. She's David's great-great-grandmother. (laughs)
0: She trusted in the Lord's provision and didn't try to provide for herself. And she is saved along with Israel. She joins the nation of Israel. In fact, she's a hero
1: in the nation of Israel, even though she is not a good person. Every time she's mentioned, she's named Rahab
0: the harlot. You think, well, now why is God doing a thing like that? Like, every, Why does it even mentioned? Because it's not that relevant to the story.
1: Because God uses the things you don't think he'll use. Why? So that it will be clear that it's him and not them.
0: Jesus said in the great Sermon on the Mount, He said, You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before
1: men that they will see your good deeds and give you glory. Is that what it says? So that, so that the world will appreciate your goodness. Doesn't say that. It's the strangest thing
0: to say. Let your light so shine before men that they will see
1: what you do and glorify your Father in heaven. How would that happen? How would that happen? Jesus declares in the Sermon on the Mount,
0: You're the light of the world. You know what he also declared in the book of John, chapter 8, verse 12? I am the light of the world, and if you walk with me, you will have the light of life. So how is it that you're the light of the world? Well, you're with him. That's how. And so when you walk in fellowship with God in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you as a born-again person, when you walk in Christ, with Christ, before God, when you trust Him, when you rely on His Word, when you rely on the work of Christ, and it changes your outlook about everything and everyone you meet,
1: and you operate by, if the gospel is true, what shall I do?
0: If the gospel is true, what shall I do? If you operate that way,
1: nobody will think it's you. Nobody will think it's you. Because
0: you'll do some really ridiculous things from time to time. that People will think, what on earth? You'll do things like receive the news of a deadly disease or even a death of a loved one And receive it with joy in the promise of God, rejoicing. Or the world will trouble you and you will do what the apostles did and go, This is so great. We are getting troubled for the name of Jesus.
1: How cool is that? And everyone will say, oh, that can't be... Well, they might say, you're just crazy. They probably will. But the Lord
0: can be seen because it's Him and not you, because you operate by faith in Him and not yourself. Let your light so shine. Let your light so shine. Your light is not your good deeds. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when you operate from Christ in you, the hope of glory, you're not worried about the little hopes that everyone else is relying on.
1: You have that hope, and you're a different person. May the Lord help us
0: to more consistently remember these things. May the Spirit of God remind us of these things, that in Christ we are safe, and the recipients of these great and precious promises that change everything.
1: And we are the ones who live, if the gospel is true, what shall I do? There's great liberty in that question. Great liberty.
0: Let your light so shine. Father, we give you thanks for your goodness is beyond our imagination. We do ask, Father, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with faith. But Lord, we we look to you. However strong or weak or misguided our faith might be, we want to trust in you and in your word and to live from there. Help us, Lord. Help us.
1: We believe. Help our unbelief. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.